0: Alrighty, Mark chapter 12 is where we're going to be studying today, and we're going to be answering this question. When can I disobey the government? When can I disobey the government? Um, it's kind of amazing that as we've just been going verse by verse through the book of Mark that we get to a section like this that deals with this kind of topic when our world seems to be very full of, of uh, these discussions and people wondering, what does God say about disobeying the government and civil disobedience? So that's what we're going to be talking about today. So let's go ahead and pray. Jesus, I pray that you would give us wisdom. I pray that you would give us uh, clarity. And God, we want to know your will and not our will. We want to know what you desire and not necessarily even what's best for us. But God, what is, what is your opinion Uh, because we are your servants. We are your children. We represent you in this world. And uh, so I pray that you would help us to understand how our actions and um, lack of actions uh, do represent you and how important they are. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So Jesus is gonna give us a life-giving truth. Like all the truths that he gives, every word that he speaks is life-giving. If we choose to receive it and believe it, there will be a life-giving end to that situation. Uh, No matter what the teaching is, whether it's on marriage or relationships uh, or anything that Jesus talks about, forgiveness, if we just obey him by receiving what he says, agreeing with him and and walking in it, you will see that there is a life-giving result. He came to give us an abundant life better than uh, what you could get yourself. And and see that the devil tries to confuse us by saying, if you just do these things, these rebellious things, if you just disobey God here or here, you're going to have it better. God's trying to keep you from something good. But really the opposite is true. If we would just obey him and we would just follow him and believe his teachings, receive them and do them, we would see that he has blessings in store for our life that are so much more than we could ever get on our own. So today we're going to answer this question of, um, when is it okay for me to disobey the government? And it's, like I said, it's a timely question because lots of people are advocating for civil disobedience these days, and even going as far as riots and looting and saying, justifying it and saying it's okay. Um, I don't think many actually do that, but uh, what would Jesus say about disobeying direct orders from the government? Some see Everything is wrong in the world, and uh, they desire to see a change for the good. So they see a lot wrong. But some attempt to do this changing work in the world by their own flesh. And Jesus is going to teach us today that we can't really make a positive change in this world by our flesh, or through our anger, or through any other fleshly, self-serving way. We must do things his way in order for it to be a spiritual renewal in this world. So what do we do? What do we do? What, when the government is wrong, what do we do? When the government is evil, what do we do? When the government is overbearing, what do we do? When the government is stupid, what do we do? And we're not going to answer the question, what, do we, what is best for me? That's not supposed to be how we think. But what does God say and what's his will for my life? Not what's best for me, but what's best for God and God's kingdom. So with that said, what are we going to do? Let's go ahead and read Mark chapter 12 and get into our text and see what Jesus has to say for us. Then they sent to him some of the Pharisees and the Herodians to catch him in his words. So we'll stop right there. Uh, So look at these two groups of people that are teaming up against Jesus. Um, This is crazy because these are the most opposite groups of people you could ever get. The Pharisees were the conservatives, the religious people. You could call them the Republicans of the day. Uh, Whereas the Herodians were the liberals. They only cared about the government and, and big government in that day. They were, you could call them the Democrats of that day. Uh, and, and so why are these both of these groups able to come and they're trying to attack Jesus, trying to catch him in his words? Why are they, what's their point? Well, Jesus claims the throne from everyone. Everyone. And any group that has power right now is threatened by Jesus because Jesus claims to be the king of, Of the world, the king of your life and your life. He is the king of everything. That's his claim. And he claims the right to every human being on on earth. And we, when we have power, we cannot let that happen because what will happen to our power? We will lose it. So these two groups of people, the conservatives and the liberals, they both agree that Jesus cannot be allowed to rule, to live. They're all working together against Jesus. These are, these are just men, men who have power, but men who see the world differently. You know, they have wildly different political views and they fight each other all the time. But when it comes to Jesus, they all agree that Jesus is a threat to their power and to their view. Because Jesus does not play nice with any political system at all. The only truly good political system I would call a theocratic dictatorship. Uh, And that's just a way to say a system where God rules and no one rebels against him. Where he is king. Uh, Dictator has a bad uh, feeling to it, but king, he he is supposed to rule. And he is good. He's a good king. And if that was the situation, all would obey him without question and everything would be perfect. Because God's kingdom, if God is good, then his kingdom would be good. And he is good and he is kind and he is loving. And so there would be no sin and there would be no harm and there would be no lack and there would be nothing that is wrong in all the kingdoms of this world that would not exist in his kingdom. So that would be the amazing kingdom. And that kingdom is coming to this world. Jesus is going to bring it. He has made promises that he will. We call it the millennium. Uh, we also call it the kingdom of God and it's on its way here. We long for this government as Christians. We long for him to take control. We want him to be king. We hope for it. We pray for it. We we literally pray for it. When we pray the Lord's prayer, we, we pray thy kingdom come Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And when his kingdom comes, it will not use any current system of government. All of them will will have to fall and be broken to pieces. Daniel had a vision of it, and it was like a giant boulder crushing everything before it. That's what the kingdom of God is like. It's not going to be... Uh, he's not going to pick some of the communist system over here and some democratic and some Republican, nothing. It is all Jesus all the time. So we don't live there yet. He is not ruling that way here on this earth right now. So how are we supposed to live with the government we have now? Because it's not perfect. If we're in the United States, if we're in Canada, If we're in Mexico, if we're in England, if we're in China or North Korea or Russia or Iran or Israel, they all have wildly different governments. So how are Christians supposed to live in each of these places when our hope is for uh, these governments to eventually be wiped out and, and replaced with a righteous kingdom of Jesus? Let's look at our text. When they had come, they said to him, teacher, we know that you are true and that you care about no one. That means uh, he, he doesn't care about some people more than other people. For you do not regard the person of men, but you teach the way of God in truth. So there's nothing like a little bit of flattery to get this conversation moving, but don't, don't read into this. This is not respect that they're giving him. This is a trap. They are definitely trying to trap him. Most times when people compliment you, it's a trap. Um, and the thing is, in their heart, they think they're, they're lying to him. They think these are lies. Uh, but what's crazy is what they say is actually true. Jesus is uh, the perfect man. And he does have this wisdom that they're talking about. But they're saying it in a way that they're lying. They're even using the truth as a lie to try to trap him. Because these guys really don't believe in Jesus. We already know that. They will not submit to him or surrender to him. Uh, They think that they can win an argument by lying to Jesus. Guys, I just, if I was there, I'd be like, Jesus knows, right? Jesus knows if you're lying. Uh, He knows if you really want him to rule you or not. He knows. He knows if you're really devoted to your own plan, your own life, your own power, your own will or if you are surrendered to His will. He knows these things. He knows if we wish He was dead. We know it, He knows if we wish that there was no rules and that there was not His rules. We, he knows if we wish there was no restraint on our lives and no consequences. He knows all these things. And He still loves us. And I think for a lot of times, we... We are right there. We don't want to submit to him, but he keeps pursuing us. And what helps us get over this hump is is when we stop lying to him and to ourselves. You know, these, these uh, Pharisees and these Herodians, they're just lying. So why do we lie? Why do we lie? Jesus just loves us. He does have this rule, this kingdom that he wants to bring into our lives. And we're like, oh yeah, I'm all about that. I want that to be in my life, but really we don't. We we want there to be a part in us that is allowed to do what we wanna do. And that part must die. We have to give it up. We have to surrender it. You know, Jesus, he is the truth. He is wise. He is the right way. But I'm an American. And as an American, I should be able to choose my own destiny. And Jesus says, I thought you gave your life to me. I thought you offered to be my child, my servant. And I offered to to bring you into my family. So what's going on here? You still want to rule? Uh, well, in my kingdom, there, there's not going to be rebels. So we got to get this taken care of. So here's how they lie to him. Here's how they try to... Um, confront Jesus. They asked this question, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Shall we pay or shall we not pay? Okay. So back in that day, Israel was ruled by the nation of Rome. They were a dictatorship. Uh, They believed their Caesar was God. Uh, It was an evil government. Okay. And they taxed the Jews. They allowed them to stay in Israel, but they taxed them heavily. So there were three taxes basically that were imposed on uh, all the Jews. And the first was a ground tax, which 10% of all grain and 20% of all wine and fruit was taxed. You had to give it to the government. The second was an income tax, which was about 1% of a man's income. And then the third was a poll tax. This was paid by men between 12 and 65, and women between 14 and 65. And this was one denarius a year, which is about a day's wage for a laborer. And everyone had to pay taxes to Rome, and everyone hated it. They all hated it. Some people paid it with a grudge, just like, ugh, I have to do this, and I don't want to deal with the the Roman, you know, basically their persecution if I don't. Uh, Others just flat out refused to pay. Um, Among the group was people called zealots. They were religious zealots they were so um intense about their religious views that they thought if you paid taxes you were agreeing that uh, rome was your um overseer and you agree and you accepted their rule as legitimate and you 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 were even agreeing that what they were doing was right um so there was all this internal you know even difference in views of how they viewed taxes Um, but this question specifically was designed to catch Jesus in a trap. Um, so taxes was again, the hot button issue of the day. And they were trying to catch Jesus in the trap because they wanted to get rid of him. Because if Jesus says, no, don't pay taxes, then they're going to report him to Rome. And Rome is going to deal with him as a rebel and a a traitor and and charge him with treason. And, uh, and he would, Rome would just do away with him, which is exactly what the Pharisees and the Herodians want because they don't want Jesus to rule if he says yes then the people would instantly turn on him reject everything about him for he would be seeming to say god is not sovereign over israel and and that they needed to accept the the rule of the romans as being god's will so they believe they've caught him in a trap at least that they think that's what they think but you guys this is jesus he is all-wise and all-powerful and he of course is going to just demolish this argument so let's check it out so it says but he knowing their hypocrisy said to them why do you test me again jesus knows he knows that they're hypocrites he knows their heart's desire that they do not want him to rule so he uses the word test he says why do you test me and it's interesting because that's the same exact word that he used of satan when satan and demons were tempting him in the desert He's saying the, the motivation for anyone trying to test me in this way is demonic. Anyone who wants to keep me from being king, from, from being having the rule, that's a demonic desire. This rebellion that says, we will not have you rule over us, Jesus, that is demonically inspired. Because in God's kingdom, if we could see the spiritual world, demons are the rebels of the spiritual world. There was a day when Satan was cast out of heaven and he took a third of all the angels with him. They all agreed and rebelled against the rule of God and became demons in that moment. And these demons who are, have their entire existence is to rebel. They cannot submit to authority. They cannot submit to God's authority. They have been animating and inspiring man's rebellion ever since the garden so as we have gone through the years and there's been rebellions in this way and that way it's always god's uh, demonic in, demonically inspired and jesus says here he says why do you test me guys why are you testing me you don't want any piece of this jesus says it's like you're trying to pick a, a fight with the hulk it's not good And I'm not talking about the Hulk of Endgame, but like the Hulk of the first Avengers when he was awesome, not Smart Hulk, which ended up being lame. This is like someone you do not want to mess with. Jesus is the king. And they're saying, we don't want you to be our king. So they're trying to test him and tempt him and they're trying to confront him and they're trying to, by deceit, bring him down. It's not going to work with Jesus. So he says this, bring me a denarius that I may see it. So they brought it and he said to them, whose image and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. And Jesus answered and said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God, the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. This is one of the most brilliant answers ever given. Uh, This would have won final jeopardy, no matter what the question was. This is the most important statement ever made regarding politics. This is the most influential teaching ever given about government at all. He says, give the coin to Caesar, but give your life to God. Just like that. Just as simple as that. You see, because this this coin, this denarius, had a picture of Caesar on the front and a picture of Caesar's mom on the back. And it had a, an inscription on it uh, that said basically, "High priest of Rome." okay so there was definitely a religious thing, it was definitely idolatry and um, and so Jesus says, "Give it to him you don't need you don't need money. Give Caesar his money if he's asking you for it. But then he teaches that we are also made with an image on us. And so we should give our whole lives to God. Just as we give that coin to Caesar, we should give our whole lives to God. So Jesus' answer tells us that Caesar does not have all authority. There are some things that should be rendered to God alone. So when the state asks us for something that belongs to God alone, we are duty-bound to obey God before the government. All right, so we're going to read. A couple other verses cross-references that are going to help us to understanding the Christian teaching regarding obeying the government. Romans 13, 6. Romans chapter 13, verses 6 and 7. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers according, attending uh, conditionally to this very thing. Render therefore to all their due taxes to whom are due Customs to whom are due customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Basically, Paul says in Romans, do what the government asks, even if you disagree with it, or even if it's a burden. Just do it. First Peter chapter two, verse thirteen through seventeen. First Peter chapter two, verse thirteen through seventeen. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of men for the Lord's sake. Let me repeat that in case you didn't hear. Therefore, submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. Now, let me repeat it in case you think you're smarter than God and you disagree. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. Do I need to read it again? Are we that hard-hearted that we still think we know what's best? I'm going to continue with the context. Whether to the king as supreme, whether he's a good guy or a bad guy, or to governors, even if it's just your local government, or to those who are sent by him for punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God. That by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. As free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. So, Peter is very clear with us. He says, obey every ordinance of men, but he gives us the reason why. For the Lord's sake. And he says, this is the will of God that we would lay down our lives and our freedoms for others, even when you disagree, even when it's not best for us, that we would love them even when they don't love you. And even when it's not best for you, that we would honor all people, even if we disagree with them. And even if they have a stupid idea or opinion that we would listen and we would give value to them. And we would obey those who have been placed in authority over us. As a follower of King Jesus, I'm calling him King Jesus. He's my Lord. He's my King. Um, We need to understand his rule in our lives extends not just to our family, but he has placed governments. He has raised up governors and governments for us, and we should obey them. So we still haven't answered the question, when can I disobey, right? When should I disobey? Because we learned that from this parable or the story that Jesus gave this teaching, that there are times when we need to give God what he um, is owed before we give the government what it is owed. So there's, there's kind of a, a well-accepted pledge that is out there that helps us to kind of understand the order of how this would work. Um and so I'm going to read you seven points here that will kind of help us to understand how this should work in our lives. Uh the first pledge would be I will be a good citizen living in subjection to governmental authority, even a pagan one. I will responsibly engage in the political process. So there's the first step of being a Christian living in a, under a government is you're going to obey it even if it's pagan, you're going to responsibly participate in any way that you can. Number two, I will live internationally more than nationally or local. In other words, my allegiance is to Christ and his kingdom before it is to the specific uh, king, uh, country that I live in. So there's a lot of patriotism. And while patriotism isn't, is not technically wrong, uh, it, it can very easily spiral into idolatry. Uh, when, when you start to believe that your country is better than every other country, uh, that becomes pride, and the pride becomes a real problem in your relationship with God and in, in humility dealing with God's other people around the world. Um, just like Daniel in Babylon. Daniel was living in Babylon. He participated. He obeyed the government uh, unless it told him to worship a god besides his god but he, he considered others more important than himself. He, he did all that. Uh, okay, number three. I will obey the state, but only worship God. I will obey what the government tells me, but I will only worship God. And I will thank God for all the good he does through the government, praying for all those who are in authority. So that's another principle we learned from 1 Timothy, is that we're supposed to be praying for these people, not speaking evil about them and not just complaining about everything that they do. And I think if we really truly prayed, uh, it would change how our words sounded when it came to the government. Number four, I will acknowledge all government authority is established and comes from God. This is hard, because then you have to admit that people you don't like and you wouldn't have chosen, God did choose. And he had a reason for doing it. And so you are supposed to pray for them, love them, and obey what they say. Very heart Measuring. It measures our heart. It shows us where we really are, the way that we think and talk about um, politicians. Number five, I will acknowledge all governments serves in some measure for the purpose of promoting good and punishing evil. And a bad government is almost always better than no government at all. Number six, I will pay all taxes placed upon me by the government, recognizing its right to do so. But when do I disobey the government? Okay, this is number seven. This is the last point that we have. I will engage in civil disobedience only when my government prohibits me from doing what the Bible commands or commands me to do what the Bible prohibits. This means, first, that the law being resisted must be unjust or immoral, clearly contrary to the will of God, and not just inconvenient or burdensome, okay? Second, legal means of changing the unjust situation must be exhausted first before we disobey. Civil disobedience is a method not of first resort, but of last resort when all legal channels have been pursued and exhausted. So these are lawsuits um, and any acts of Congress and stuff like that. Third, the act of disobedience, if we choose to do that, must be public rather than secret or hidden. you, You have to do it out there in the open, saying, I disagree with this and I will not hide myself. I will not hide that I disagree with it. I disagree with it. Fourth, there needs to be some hope or even likelihood of success if I'm to produce change in these laws. And fifth, as I consider civil disobedience, I need to be willing to accept the penalty for breaking the law. So that means you're willing to go to jail. So Jesus gives us this clear teaching. And in order for us to receive this teaching, we have to have humility. We have to understand that we don't know what's best. And it seems contrary to us to obey laws that we don't agree with, or laws that we think are dumb, or laws that are inconvenient. We think it's not best for us or not best for our family or not even best for our whole country. But God says what is best is that you participate in bringing his rule, that you are submitted to his rule in your life. And he's given us a rule about this. He says, obey, pray for your leaders, and do what they say. And that's the rule, unless it directly contradicts God's will um, then we have seen how we can wisely put civil disobedience into use. Um, so we have to have humility when when considering this. If we're gonna if we're gonna have Jesus rule over us, and we also have to have faith, because it's only by faith that we can trust that God is able to transform people without me, without my words, without my actions, without my anything god is able to use my love and me laying down my life to transform and that humility and faith god promises he will give us grace in those situations he will give us the ability to obey and to do his will and he will reward us um and his grace will be everything that we need so this has been a really interesting talk i'm sure i'm going to get lots of questions and emails so make sure you email them to BK at whiteflagcalvary.org. And um, I'm just kidding. That's not even a real address. Um, yeah. I love you guys. And let's go ahead and pray and um, and be a light to this world this week. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We pray that you'd help us to submit and surrender to the, the truth that you give us. I pray that we would receive it as life-giving truth. And God, that we would experience your abundant life as we surrender, as we repent, of our own thoughts and letting our, letting our thoughts run wild with things that we could do to change this world or to rebel against the government. And God, I pray that we would um, su- submit to all ordinances of men for your sake. God, you want us to be a light to this world. And I pray that we would do so uh, in faith and in humility. And we ask that you would strengthen us by your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you all.